From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Welcome back to EWTN's Open Line. Hope you enjoyed the mailbag edition yesterday with Father John Tregilio on Memorial Day. And we welcome you back to another live and in-person, in-the-flesh, not a phony, not a hologram, not anything else, the real kahuna. Father Wade Benizis is in the house talking faith, family, and fellowship. If you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada... Your number is 1-205-271-2985, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. You can always send us an email, openline at EWTN.com. That's openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Our celebrity call screener today is Ace McKay and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Tuesday, Father Wade Menezes, how are you? I'm doing great, Jack, on these days between the Ascension and Pentecost in the midst of the Holy Spirit novena for Pentecost. And so... Mm -hmm. uh, These are exciting times for the church, exciting times for the individual wanting to do a novena. It's probably the most um, uh, sought-out novena every year in the church's liturgical calendar. In fact, it's the only one that the church actually proscribes uh, for her members, and it's a very important one because it's so scripturally based. Yeah, so uh, you're going to delve into the source and... That's right, that's right. ...particular novena here. The, the Holy Spirit as power and dynamite, I like to say. You know, a person's words in their final moments uh, of their earthly life seem to carry a little bit of extra power, a little bit of extra weight, if you will. Jesus' last words before his ascension into heaven, then, are, are vitally important. At that final moment, he said that we will receive power. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The Greek word here used for power is the same root word we use for dynamite, huh? Explosive power specifically. In other words, Jesus plans to give us explosive power to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Again, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus wants us to know the immeasurable scope of his power in us to quote Ephesians 1.19. He pours all of his explosive power into our weak human lives to make it clear that the surpassing power comes from God, not from us, 2 Corinthians 4.7. In our weakness and surrender, his power reaches perfection, again to quote scripture, 2 Corinthians 12.9. And our human strength becomes, in effect, a spiritual circuit breaker, if you will. But when we try to be strong on our own without Christ, we flip the switch that shuts off the flow of God's power working in us. So when we lose our life in him, our weakness turns on the switch that causes God's power to flow through us 
in high voltage power. Again, that, that Greek word, huh? that, that Greek root. He wants to give us a certain dynamism, a certain explosive power. Matthew 16.25 says, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Both the Ascension and Pentecost mark the beginning of Jesus' plan to work through us in a new and powerful way, we could say. The all-powerful God has chosen to share his power with us, his weak creatures that we are. How awesome is that? He has given us power to tread on all the forces of the enemy, Luke 10, 19. We need to surrender to the Holy Spirit and receive power from on high. So let Jesus' power flow through you to renew the face of the earth, as the wording of that beautiful prayer to the Holy Spirit tells us. A prayer that each one of us could pray today is, Almighty God, with your help, I will take up my daily crosses with joy and resignation so that I will know and exercise the immeasurable scope of your power living and working in me. Again, Ephesians 3.20, an allusion there. Guide me to live the seven gifts and the twelve fruits of the Holy Spirit, O God. And those are worth mentioning, worth mentioning. The seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. And of course, that's a filial fear, not a servile fear. These are the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they are found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, where the biblical passage refers to the characteristics of a messianic figure understood by Christians to be Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit of the Lord. And the twelve fruits of the Holy Spirit from Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23, most scripture passages give nine, but St. Jerome's Latin Vulgate uh, gives an extra three. Uh, the twelve fruits of the Holy Spirit are charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, modesty, self-control, and chastity. The twelve beautiful fruits of the Holy Spirit and the seven beautiful gifts of the Holy Spirit. Great quote here, Jack, by St. Thomas Aquinas. He says that the Holy Spirit interiorly perfects our own human spirit, communicating to it a new dynamism so that it refrains from evil for love. And this through the outpouring of the seven gifts and the twelve fruits of the Holy Spirit. And a similar quote from St. Cyril of Alexandria, early church father, teaches that with the Holy Spirit working within us, quote, it is quite natural for people who had been absorbed by the things of this world to become entirely otherworldly in outlook, and for cowards to become people of great great courage, huh? And remember, a state of sanctifying grace, that is to say, when one is not knowledgeable, sincerely so, of any mortal sin that they've committed, no, no mortal sin on their soul that they are sincerely aware of, uh, they have the moral certitude that they are in a state of sanctifying grace, which means simultaneously the seven gifts and the twelve fruits of the Holy Spirit in them and working. Now, they may be infantile in the person. Maybe the person doesn't consider themselves too fortuitous, not, not one with much fortitude, not one with much courage, one of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. But it's like working a muscle. Huh? Every time you work that muscle, every time you work that gift, it grows. So the more fortuitous acts you do, the more courageous acts you do, that gift of the Holy Spirit works in you. And, and we have these seven gifts, these, these 12 fruits, whenever we have the moral certitude that we are in a state of sanctifying grace. 
So again, the Holy Spirit wants to give us much more than just a power. He wants to give us a, 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 a dynamic power, a, an explosive power, a certain dynamism, as the Church Fathers teach us and as the, um, the ancient uh, scriptural languages teach us. Again, Jesus' last words before his ascension to heaven are vitally important. At that final moment, he said, we will receive power in the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And that Greek root is the one word is the same that we use in the English for the word dynamite. So it's pretty awesome. And again, it's, it's one of the um, uh, only officially proscribed novenas uh, by Holy Mother Church for her members uh, that's strongly, strongly encouraged um, precisely because of its deep, deep scriptural roots. And so I, I encourage, you know, even if, you're, even if you didn't start it, catch up on it, you know. <laughs> we have a strong history in our Catholic faith of, of beginning uh, nine days before the event itself, or ten days before the event itself, uh, the feast day itself, and in that case, with the ten days before, uh, you would finish your nine-day novena the day before the solemnity. So, for example, Pentecost Sunday, uh, if you started... On, uh, on Saturday, then you'll finish on the Saturday, the day before Pentecost, but if you, if you start on the, uh, the, on the Friday, then, then you'll finish up the day before, before the, the Feast of Pentecost itself. So uh, get back on the, on, the, on the train ride here of, of doing the Holy Spirit Novena. That's what I want to encourage people to do. And if you've done the, the Novena, give us a call today. Give us a call that you're, you're on day either, what is it, four or five of today, uh, depending on when you started it. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Pick up the phone and give us a call. We've got plenty of open phone lines and all kinds of time for your calls today. On EWTN's open line Tuesday, that number is 833-288-3986. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. If you're outside of the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line if you are outside of North America at one 1- Two zero five two seven one two nine eight five, and uh, you can always send us an email as well. Just uh, send us the email address is open line all one word open line at ewtn.com. That's open line at ewtn.com. Just put Tuesday or Father Wade in the subject line. It's ewtn's open line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. That's right, 833-288-EWTN. Pick up the phone and give us a call. Father Wade is going to feel, uh, I don't know what he's going to feel. He's going to start crying on the air if we don't get phone calls (laughs) at 833-288-3986. You know, uh, Father Wade, with the the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Blessed Trinity, um, I think it sometimes is, is the most difficult 
for we human beings to get our uh, minds and hearts around sometimes. You know, everybody has a father, uh, or everybody understands the concept of a father and, and of a brother, and Jesus was a man incarnate. Uh, but the Holy Spirit is beyond our senses, and therefore I think sometimes is beyond our comprehension even more so than the Trinity itself, huh? It, it is, and, and that's why I think it's important to focus on, on the gifts and the fruits, because the, who the Holy Spirit is and how the third person of the Trinity aids us, helps us, is incarnated in us through these seven gifts and twelve fruits. I, I think you make a really good point. Many of the Church Fathers said the Holy Spirit is the expressed love between the Father and the Son. Looking at the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, Jack, we say that these are special gifts of the Holy Spirit infused into the human soul at baptism and retained by everyone in the state of sanctifying grace. These gifts also complete and perfect the virtues of those who receive them, and they make the faithful docile in readily obeying divine inspirations from God. How beautiful is that? They are conferred with the reception of sanctifying grace, for example, by making a good, holy, and worthily received sacrament of confession. The great Jesuit theologian Father John Hardin described the gifts of the Holy Spirit as, quote, seven forms of supernatural initiative, end quote. Seven forms of supernatural initiative that are in the nature of supernatural reflexes or reactive instincts that spontaneously answer to the divine impulses of grace, almost without reflection, but always with full consent of the will on the person's part. That's how the Holy Spirit trains us, we could say, through these supernatural instincts and reflective impulses, because we want to do God's will. I think that's extremely important to to call to mind here. And so this is what I mean when I say the Holy Spirit helps incarnate in us precisely who he is, uh, because he wants to give us his seven gifts and twelve fruits. So in short, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit are, according to, to Catholic tradition and by way of the patristic authors, a heroic character and a heroic character traits, we could say, that Jesus Christ alone possesses in their plentitude, but that he freely shares with the members of his mystical body, the Church. These traits are infused into every Christian as a permanent endowment at one's baptism. They are nurtured by the practice of the seven capital virtues and sealed in the sacrament of confirmation. This is why the sacrament of confirmation is one of the three sacraments of initiation, along with baptism and Eucharist, which fully initiates the person, per se, into the fullness of membership in the Church. So it's confirmation that that seals these seven gifts, right? They are also known as the seven sanctifying gifts of the Holy Spirit because they serve the purpose of rendering their recipients docile to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in their lives, whether single or married or as consecrated religious, uh, helping them to grow in holiness and making them fit for heaven. And again, uh, the seven gifts are wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. But, but what about the 12 fruits here? Huh? What, what about the 12 fruits? Well, these also are special graces of supernatural satisfaction in the, in the performance of good works, uh, infused by the Holy Spirit at baptism and possessed by everyone in the state of sanctifying grace. They have a certain intensity about them, we could say, that depends on the degree of grace a person has and the generosity with which he or she performs the different virtues. In short, then, the Church's theology teaches us this. The twelve fruits of the Holy Spirit are supernatural works that manifest the presence of the Holy Spirit 
working per se in one's life. The person who possesses or performs these fruits recognizes God's very presence by the happiness he or she experiences, while others who witness these fruits in someone else behold God's awesome presence working in and through that other person. We may say, then, that these fruits are identifiable effects, identifiable effects of the Holy Spirit manifesting his power in a person's life. Look at it this way. At first, virtuous acts are often difficult for one to practice uh, on a regular basis. For example, say overcoming anger with joy, or overcoming impatience with patience, or uh, overcoming greed with generosity, right? But with the passage of time, okay, through frequent and deliberate acts of the will, with the passage of time, being faithful to the spiritual life, and a certain diligence— Virtuous acts become easier and easier and are accompanied by a certain spiritual joy as well. It is then that these acts of virtue, Jack, can be considered fruits, quote-unquote. Fruits in the theological sense, right? That is, virtuous deeds in which one actually delights in by the prompting and guidance of the Holy Spirit. You actually delight in those fruits. You delight in those fruits and how they're manifesting themselves in your own life, again, whether single, married, or as, or as a consecrated religious. And again, what are the 12 fruits? To recap from our springboard before the break, from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, modesty, self-control, and chastity. So uh, these, are, these are powers, the, these, these fruits uh, and these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they should not be looked upon lightly, they should not be sought out lightly, they should not be brushed off lightly, but we really want to imbue our life with them and obtain the joy that they give us through them. So, Father Wade, you know what helps get phone calls on live call-in radio programs? What's that? If you turn the phones on. <laughs> oh, well, there you have it. Which we have, no, which we have now done. So. Okay. Feel free to call us. No wonder they're raining in now, Jack. (laughs) Call us at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. First up is Larry in Annapolis, Maryland, listening to EWTN today on Sirius XM Channel 130. Larry, welcome to the program. You're on with Father Wade. Thank you very much. Hi, Father Wade. Hello, Larry. Thank you for your call today. You're welcome. I have a question, Father Wade, about my brother. He's 67 years old, and we were just together last weekend, and he was perfectly fine, but he went home to North Carolina. We're out of state. We're all out of state, and was diagnosed on Thursday with cancer, and Mm. the diagnosis is very bad. There doesn't look like there's any treatment options, And, and I'm calling to ask you what you think. He will not take any of our calls. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. He's in the hospital. There's a chance that he might not even be ever discharged from the hospital. He's had two operations. He's under surgery right now as we speak. Mm -hmm. And he won't take any of our calls. Even my 91-year-old mother, he won't take her call. And I was just wondering what you thought of that and if you've had any experience with that and what you recommend the family to do. We're very faithful Catholic family. He, he has taken this news of his health um, very, very hard personally, himself, about himself. And he probably realizes that he's looking at death imminently in, in the eyes. 
and he's having a hard time dealing with that. Um, what I would recommend, since you know for a fact that he's not taking calls per se, is I would try to have a family member, even if you have to make a concerted effort to go back to his state, to go see him and visit him in person very soon after this surgery. For example, uh, you say the family practices, I, I presume he practices the faith as well. If he does, wonderful. It remind him of the importance of receiving the sacrament of the anointing of the sick at such times, especially before the surgery, before you're put out uh, under anesthesia. Uh, and then if, it, if death is imminent following even the surgery, because let's say they, they found the cancer to be too far spread, um, and there, there's nothing more they say they can do, then uh, remind him of the entire ritual of the last rites with its, its five major components, one of which is the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, along with Holy Viaticum, one's final Holy Communion, along with the opportunity to go to confession, number three, if the person feels they need to go to confession, number four, the prayers of commendation for the dying, which includes the litany of the saints being prayed over them, the very beautiful reality that Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, wants the litany of saints prayed over the individual as they're dying, uh, because we hope for that entrance into heaven ourselves and for our loved one. And then uh, fifthly, of course, the, the apostolic pardon, which acts as a plenary indulgence uh, at the moment of death. Um, remind him of these beautiful truths of our one holy Catholic and apostolic faith, that the sacraments are tangible realities of God's grace working in us and through us, through his sanctifying grace, God's sanctifying grace, uh, all things to the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, the Sunday after Pentecost is Trinity Sunday, and my springboard for next week will be on that very formula of to the Father, through the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. Now we want to direct our lives towards that reality. So at this juncture, Larry, I would recommend family members try their best to go uh, see him uh, uh, readily, um, if, if they're not able to, try to find out what the local parish is to the hospital where he's located at. Call that parish, see if you can talk to the pastor, or at least the secretary, to relay to the pastor, so that the pastor can go see him and ask to see him by name, and go offer him the sacrament of, of the, the anointing of the sick and confession, if your brother feels he needs it. Um, because even if the family members can't get there to ensure this personally, on your brother's behalf, you can still contact the local parish and ask the brother, uh, ask the father, excuse me, the, the, pre, the parish priest to go see your brother. Um, I know of many, many cases uh, in throughout my soon-to-be 22 years of priesthood where the, the, the dying relative of the individual, the, the living relatives were nowhere near the dying relative or friend, but they called the local parish, they informed the pastor of the situation, and the pastor went and saw the individual. Be sure to let the pastor know whether or not your brother does practice the faith so that the pastor can uh, prepare himself on how to approach this man who's just had this major surgery, who's just found out he's had cancer. You would also want the pastor to know that, that he is... Uh, shut off his communication to the families, which tells the pastor he's probably taking this very, very hard. But but we want the pastor to go see him. We're hoping that your brother will be open to the family members going to see him. We hope that your brother will be open to the last rites, at least the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. And we pray for God's will in all things. Um, you know, when I visit a, a dying person in the hospital, and it, it's they're at the juncture now where they are indeed 
dying, that the body is naturally shutting down, I can tell instantly when I walk in the hospital room, if there's several relatives there, I can tell instantly whether those relatives practice the faith or not. If they're joyful to see the priest, you know they practice their Catholic faith. If they don't practice their Catholic faith at all, they see the priest's presence as, as death being imminent, and, and they want to shut the, the church out, they want to shut the sacraments out, and yet the sacraments are the very tangible realities of God's grace for us. I'll keep you and your family and your brother in prayer there. EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. You know, be sure to check out Church Pop. It's a really nice website. It's a part of the EWTN family. It gives you a fresh, clean look at a lot of the uh, things that are happening in the culture and in the church. Uh, puts kind of a lighthearted spin on some things and a deeper look at others. Just check it out at churchpop.com. You can even have us send Church Pop headlines straight to your email inbox. Just log on to EWTN.com and click on subscribe. So, Father Wade, um, you fathers of mercy, uh, I think you pretty much like you pray and you stroll leisurely around the grounds there at the General Ed House in <laughs> Auburn, Kentucky, and and you do these parish mission things. What is that exactly? What is a parish mission? Well, I, I've been on the road a lot, so I can tell you exactly what a parish mission and, and what it's like. It's, it's a fantastic opportunity for the people of the parish and surrounding community to come together for a, a four- or five-night presentation on a particular theme or topic of Catholic teaching. Pope St. John Paul II once said that for the periodical renewal of a parish, nothing beats a parish mission with daily Eucharistic adoration, ample opportunity for the sacrament of confession, and a solemn closing Mass on the last night. A parish mission is a, is a great and wonderful opportunity, Jack, for both individual and parish-wide renewal. It provides a wonderful opportunity for parish-wide strengthening of the Church's teaching and for catechesis. And a shout-out to my two confreres, uh, Reverend Brother Deacon Michael French and Reverend Brother Deacon Joseph Morgan, who will be ordained priests for the Fathers of Mercy this coming uh, Saturday, June 4th, and retired Bishop of Louisville, Kentucky, uh, former Archbishop Joseph Kurtz, will be doing the honors of the ordination Mass. And so we thank Bishop Kurtz for that, and we congratulate my two confreres. And, uh, and they've received their assignments there. One will be sent to the Shrine of Our Lady of Good Help in Wisconsin, and one will be sent to our parish of St. Helens and Our Lady of the Caves in the Archdiocese of Louisville, uh, in Glasgow, Kentucky, and Horse Cave, Kentucky. That's where they will be going as newly ordained priests and getting their feet wet, so to speak. And, uh, and who knows, one day they themselves may be preaching parish missions. <laughs> 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Two open phone lines for you at 833-288-3986. Next up is Larry in Tulsa, Oklahoma, listening on Tulsa Catholic Radio. Larry, you are on with Father Wade. Hey, Father Wade, thank you so much for taking my call. I really appreciate EWTN. We've been uh, attentive uh, to the daily Masses. And my question comes up from this morning's Mass uh, and, the, and the Scripture from Luke concerning the uh, Annunciation and the uh, uh, Visitation. And uh, I guess it's just for sake of discussion, I've... Um, always been a little bit pondered by the length of time between the uh, Annunciation 
and the birth of Christ, the many numbers of things and time that had to pass quickly in that nine-month period, I suppose, where Mary has to make haste to visit her cousin Elizabeth at Zacharias. And the, uh, uh, and the thought I always had was make haste, in most cases for me, it requires packing a bag, getting people together, picking up gas, and doing the things that you need to do to get on the road. And the length of time it would take Mary, if she traveled alone, or if she traveled with an entourage, to get there and be there in time for Elizabeth's birth of St. John. Then at the same time, return back to her hometown, meet with Joseph, and get back to Bethlehem for the birth and the uh, for the um, census that was necessary. Uh, and all that taking place, theme, time frame wise, um, how does that work out? Well, you know, we only know what we know from sacred scripture itself. We know that both Mary and Elizabeth were both expecting their respective sons at the same time. Both women were pregnant at the same time. At least there was some overlap there of their months. Um, As you said, Mary went to go visit Elizabeth following Mary's own annunciation by Gabriel. And we know that when Mary entered her home, uh, Elizabeth's baby uh, leaped for joy in her womb, John the Baptist, our, our Lord's cousin. So we know those kinds of things. We also know that Mary stayed with her cousin Elizabeth for about three months. Um, there's a strong tradition that St. Joseph would have gone with Mary um, to be her protector and her guide uh, during her making haste uh, to go visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was known to be with child in her old age. Um, beyond that, Nothing is really imperative for our salvation, except that John the Baptist is the line of demarcation between the Old Testament prophets and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the New Covenant dispensation. That's what's important. Uh, The fact that they were cousins, the fact that Mary was so other-centered for her cousin Elizabeth, the fact that that, uh, John the Baptist leaped in, in, in Elizabeth's womb at the entrance of Mary, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the New Covenant, carrying the God-man Jesus Christ. These are the things that are imperative. So it's not so much a timeline per se of each woman's nine-month gestation period that's important. Uh, we know there was some overlap during their two respective gestations, but it's anything beyond that isn't, isn't necessarily imperative for, for our salvation, what we need to know. Remember, in the, in the, in the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? In the interest of brevity, in the interest of brevity, is a phrase that the Church Fathers often use when they're trying to explain um, uh, uh, the complete reality of a narrative given in Scripture that in Scripture itself is rather brief. And they say that in the entrance of brevity, precise, in the interest of brevity, uh, precisely because the narrative is, is much longer in real life of everything that happened, um, their, their concern as sacred authors, the, these are the church fathers of the first seven to eight centuries doing their scriptural exegesis, talking about the sacred authors, for example, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the church fathers teach that in the interest of, of brevity, they take what would have been in real life a much longer narrative and include only the pertinent parts that are necessarily needed to understand the narrative in depth. 
And I think this is a great example of that very truth taught by the Church Fathers. Uh, I, I believe it's at the end of John's Gospel, where the, the sacred author John the Evangelist says, and there are many other things that he did, referring to Jesus and, miracle, and his miracles, but if we were to calculate all of them, or write all of them down, there would be no number of books available that could write them all down, that, that, that could be stored anywhere. Uh, and so we have reason to believe that Jesus performed many, many, many more miracles than what are recorded in the four Gospels. And so that, that's what's important to understand here, is that in the interest of brevity, what would have been a longer narrative in real life, only the pertinent points are necessarily needed to be uh, contemplated, expounded upon, uh, for, for what that narrative is trying to convey, in this case, in regards to the sacred incarnation and the role of John the Baptist as the great precursor before his cousin, the God-man Jesus Christ. Great question so much, uh, Jim. Thank you for your, for your call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Next stop, San Antonio, Texas. Jim is in San Antonio listening on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Jim, you're on with Father Wade. Hello. How are you? Good, Jim. Thank you for your call. Yeah. You know, I was listening to you talk about the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we try to catch your show quite a bit. And... uh I'm a person that, you know, I'm 72 now, and I've lived a pretty long time, and, and I've had many experiences with the Holy Spirit. One exact, I mean, one thing that happened to me in 1980 was I had a motorcycle accident, and I mashed off my foot on, on my left leg as I, when, the bike, when the bike hit the car. So anyway, I was laying on the ground there, and I was, I was looking at my foot. My foot was on the street in front of me. And I was like, oh, God, I knew it was messed up. And I was going through all this inner turmoil, apologizing to God. Say that last part. The I'm Holy sorry. You, you, you Well, you... the Holy, the Holy uh, I was laying on the ground, and the, my foot was in front of me. And I was, I was having this terrible torment inside that I had done something wrong, and I was sort of being punished for this. And the Holy Spirit came to me and told me, it just said, Jim, Jim, stop that. Stop that. I'm here with you now, and everything's going to be fine, so just settle down. And everything got fine. I mean, my whole whole attitude about life changed at that moment, and I, uh, before I knew it, the ambulance was there, and then I was at the hospital, and once we got to the hospital, the doctors were going to, uh, they were going to just finish uh, cutting my foot off and make a stub for a prosthetic. And my mother kind of shamed them. She said, you're not even going to try to save it. And so anyway, they said, well, let us see. And so anyway, I went from a 2% chance to a 10% overnight, and that's been 40-some-odd years now. We're talking 42 years that it's been mm. since that been done. And the Holy Spirit came, it came into my, it was that voice in my heart, and my intuition just knew that. And that voice was as real as I'm talking to you right now. And I've had experiences like that with him throughout my whole life. I mean, oh, I, I could 
we don't have enough time to talk about everything. But it, when I hear you talk about this, and I really I enjoy the way you put things. I like the I like the way you describe things and the way you talk about them. And it just it I I just got compelled. I felt compelled to call you and just tell you that story. Well, thank you, Jim. We appreciate that very much. And you know. Not being your your spiritual director or your confessor, uh, I can just say this, you know, just off the cuff, so to speak, from from your witness that you just gave on air here on Open Line Tuesday, it could well be that you received a particular grace at that very moment of the accident when you were feeling immediately uh, the negative reality of of of. God permitted this to happen because of my bad life or, or whatever, or God's punishing me for this or that, and immediately to have that consolation. Remember, he's the spirit of consolation, right? It's one of his main titles. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of consolation. He's, he's the consoler. Uh, that's even one of the translations when we invoke uh, the Holy Spirit during the divine praises, during Eucharistic adoration and benediction. The Holy Spirit, the paraclete, or the Holy Spirit, the, the consoler. Um, just as quickly as you had those negative thoughts right there at the very moment of the accident, you had just as quickly, and very likely through what's called a particular grace, the consoling from the Holy Spirit to stop thinking that way, uh, to not not be so negative, that that God doesn't work that way, and that embrace this that's happening, and, and try to be as positive as you, as you can about it, like your mother was with the doctors, um, and, and look what happened. They were able to, to save your foot and, and ankle, and, and praise God for that. And I think you said it was, now it's 42 years later after the fact. So, uh, you know, that, that's a great witness story of how the Holy Spirit can console at a moment of tragedy, at a very moment of tragedy, regardless of what that tragedy is. Maybe it involves oneself, like like with you, it involved yourself. The accident was your own accident, or it could be a tragedy that involves a loved one, op, uh, opposite or separate from yourself. The fact is, the Holy Spirit can bring an individual uh, consolation instantly, and and we pray for that spirit of consolation when when on a continuum. Even when things aren't bad, we should pray daily to the spirit of consolation. We should pray daily to the Holy Spirit. Uh, again, I, I'm going to talk about this next week for the springboard, the importance, the absolute importance of involving, capital I, of involving the three divine persons in your daily life, all things to the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit, two through an end. That's the same formula that the uh, the collect prayer, every Mass we attend, is directed to the Father, through the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The collect prayer, the so-called opening prayer at Mass, right after the penitential rite at Mass. And there's a reason why the collect prayer is directed to the Father, through the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we should involve the three divine persons in our daily life. In this particular case, talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Consolation, the Consoler, capital C, uh, even when things are not going negative in our life, negatively in our life, so that when things do happen uh, that are negative in our life, we we have already established a very strong relationship with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of Consolation. And I think that's very, very important. So thank you, Jim, so much for a, a great, what I like to call a great witness call today. Thank you so much. That ties into the springboard topic. Big shout-out for a couple of our longtime partners, uh, affiliates out there in the field. 
Congratulations to WASB FM 96.5 in Boyd, Wisconsin, and Holy Family Radio, WLHF in Champaign, Illinois, both of them celebrating their seventh anniversary this week. Uh, of existence and their seventh anniversary of carrying EWTN programming out there in the field. Congratulations to WASB 96.5 in Boyd, Wisconsin, and Holy Family Radio in Champaign, Illinois. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open lines at 833-288-3986. Next up is Violet in the great state of Idaho, listening on our great affiliate there, Salt and Light Radio. Violet, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. I uh, first of all want to thank God for your gift of knowledge and uh, communication. Uh, I am uh, an RE teacher, religious ed teacher here locally in our parish, and I oftentimes get a question for from from the fourth graders. Uh, you know, how do I know what my gift is when I teach mm-hmm. about the Holy Spirit? And I, I know that's probably an easy answer for you, but. For me, it, it, you know, it makes me think, what do I say? You know, what is the best, best answer? Well, the best answer would be that we're all given natural gifts and talents, and we're called to uh, build upon those. Um, and and at, at a very young age, those may not be manifested yet. You said you're working with children. But you can talk to the children about natural gifts and talents and how we can also acquire natural gifts and talents that may not have been ex- that we may not have been exposed to yet. You know, Scripture talks about uh, preachers, teachers, administrators, um, and so forth. So, so everybody has their gift, huh? And and talents on a natural level, and we're made to uh, to, to lift those up to what's called a supernatural level by involving Almighty God intimately in our lives. Again, in, whether single, married, or as consecrated religious. So that's one way you could approach it, is through the, the angle of just natural gifts and talents that one might sense now in their life, but also um, ones that may not yet be manifest. Uh, also, you can talk to them about the importance of staying close to regular confession and regular Holy Communion as they grow older, especially beyond the age of reason, once they can receive Holy Communion and First Confession around age seven the importance of these two sacraments. Why? Because these are the only two sacraments out of the seven that can be received over and over and over again with much frequency. They sustain us in our state in life and our vocation. They open us and give us God's sanctifying graces to solidify us that much more in our daily life, whether a student married, whether a student single, um, whether a divorced mom of three, whether a Catholic diocesan priest, whether a Catholic religious order priest, uh, an active nun teaching in the classroom, a, a cloistered nun in the monastery, staying close to these two sacraments that, that help ensure our relationship sacramentally, again, the sacraments being the tangible helps, the tangible realities of God uh, uh, wanting to be there with us and for us through his ordinary channels of sanctifying grace. And so you would want to convey to the students that the seven sacraments are the ordinary channels to God's sanctifying grace, and it's through that sanctifying grace operative in our lives 
that we grow closer to God, we grow cro- closer in our love of neighbor, we grow ever more aware, like I talked about in our springboard and when I came back from that initial break, that the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, for example, are supernatural initiatives, they're promptings, they're prompting, supernatural promptings that make us joyful to want to carry out the task at hand, right? And so whatever the, the young person is presented with, whether it's their school studies, whether it's their relationship with their mother or father, uh, their siblings, that they can always grow to a greater betterment in that area rather than uh, to a detriment. You know, following the, the most recent tragedy of the school shooting, one of the U.S. senators made a, made a comment that I think is very true. A lot of these shooters... We know from their their web pages, their use of social media, they, they appear to be in a in a in a world of virtual, meaning cyberspace. That's what I mean by virtual, uh, a world of virtual nihilism, which is the doctrine of nothingness. Uh, nothing comes after this life. Therefore, there's nothing barring us of how we should act in this life in the here and now. Because nothing comes after this life. There is no salvation. There is no damnation. There's no salvation in heaven. There's no damnation in hell. So who cares how I act right now? So I'm going to carry out this, this hellacious act, this horrendous act. They live in this, virtue, this world of virtual nihilism. Uh, and, 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 and it's very, very sad because they don't know what love is. They don't know what other-centeredness is. And we want to understand those realities, that this is part of virtue and virtuous living, of being other-centered. And whatever natural gifts and talents we have are called to grow and expound in our lives uh, with the two greatest commands of, of charity, love of God and love of neighbor. That's the goal here of wanting our t- natural gifts and talents and the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we receive, even particular gifts like Scripture talks about, uh, in Ephesians and 1 Corinthians, teachers, preachers, and so forth. Um, we want those to grow ever so profoundly for a, love, a stronger love of God and a stronger love of neighbor. That's the ultimate goal. So great question on how to convey that to the, to the students, especially the young ones. I, again, natural gifts and talents to expound on those, and also to stay close to the sacraments, especially those two that can be received over and over and over again, Eucharist and confession, where the other ones can't. Uh, of, the, of the remaining five sacraments, three can be received only once because of the indelible character they leave on the soul never to be erased, right? Baptism, confirmation, and holy orders received only once. The other two of the five can be received again, meaning repetitiously, but it wouldn't be with a lot of frequency, like Eucharist and confession can be received with both frequency and, and repetition. What two are those? Well, the anointing of the sick and matrimony, right? So if your spouse dies, the church teaches you can remarry, right? But there wouldn't be a lot of frequency with that, you know, like, like with Eucharist every Sunday. Technically, you can receive the Eucharist at daily Mass. We have daily Mass, right? Uh, Sundays are holy days of obligation, but you can also receive the Eucharist daily. And, and not talking about one being overly scrupulous here, because that surely would not be healthy, one can technically go to confession daily, uh, provided, again, it's not scrupulosity leading them to daily confession. Look at the life of, of St. Teresa of Calcutta and St. John Paul II. It's a known fact that they went weekly to confession. Uh, is it because they were scrupulous souls? I, I doubt it. I think they were going for the devotional reality of the confession to receive the devotional graces 
precisely that are associated with a regular frequent confession, and they chose to go once a week. Um, the time-honored tradition is confession once a month, you know. So uh, these, are the, these are the wonderful messages to grow in virtue and love of God and love of neighbor, both through natural talents and given gifts by the Spirit, uh, and growing in the seven gifts and the 12 fruits that we want to give to our young people. God bless you. Thank you for a great, a great question. Uh, anybody who is hanging on the line here at the end of the program, please stay on the line. We're going to be doing a pre-recorded edition of EWTN's Open Line Tuesday as soon as we're finished with this broadcast. So if you'll just stay on the line at the end of the program, we will grab any of you that are still there and we will answer your questions with Father Wade as soon as we are finished. Be sure to check out Women of Grace tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. It's Wacky Wednesday. Johnette's joined by Sue Brinkman and they'll talk about all of the new uh, uh, the new age stuff that's floating around out there and how we can respond as Catholics to all that stuff. Again, Women of Grace tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on EWTN Radio. Father Wade, give us your best 90-second Fathers of Mercy commercial. Well, I, I certainly will. What does it mean to be a Father of Mercy? Well, I'll tell you. It means a man who wants to be faithful to the church founded by Jesus Christ, a man who wants to stay faithful to the sacred deposit of faith, which is that heritage of faith contained in sacred scripture and tradition and handed on in the church from the time of the apostles, from which the magisterium, the teaching office of the church, draws all that it proposes for belief as being divinely revealed. As a father of mercy, all of this conviction is publicly expressed in a dynamic missionary preaching apostolate at parish missions, retreats, conferences, devotions, and helping staff rural parishes as well. And I might add, shrines, <laughs> as we oversee the Shrine of Our Lady of Good Help in Champion, Wisconsin. So if you're a young man, ages 18 to 40, uh, single, contemplating a possible active uh, missionary preaching apostolate as a priest, and you want to discern that, be sure to go to fathersofmercy.com, fathersofmercy.com, and take a look at our website, and maybe even contact, if you feel further inclined to do so, our vocation director, Father Ken Geraci. You can email him at missions at fathersofmercy.com. That's the word mission with an S at the end of it, missions at fathersofmercy.com. Diane, Michelle, Alicia, Jim, Jack, hang on the line. We're going to get to you in just a moment. Father Wade, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit on these days between the Ascension and Pentecost descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us on behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Ace McKay, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow. Father Mitch is in the house. Until we get together then, God bless.